God's heart for LCF today. So I'm going to try and do it with a smile so it's a little nicer. But I hope that today is a turning point for Landmark Christian Fellowship and the beloved saints that are in it. I, I, I wish a few of the other people that, that are really core LCF people were here. Uh, perhaps they can watch this. But, but I believe something is shifting and there is a challenge being laid to each one of us that are sitting here. So if, if you don't want to be challenged today by the Word and by the Holy Spirit, perhaps this message isn't for you. And you should feel free to tune out or to slowly slink away into the foyer. But you might still be able to hear me in the foyer, and then it might still be for you. Okay, but, but I believe strongly that this is not just another Sunday. And I hope that becomes clear as I speak the word. I'm going to be in three passages, and I'm going to want the passages to do most of the talking. I'm going to be in Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to be in James chapter 4, and I'm going to be in Numbers chapter 12, and, and, and I believe that God wants to take us through a step-by-step process, starting with the challenge. So we moved last September, and we, previous to that, we had a, uh, a fixer-upper, which meant that Carlin had to come and fixer-upper, because that's not our deal. And so Carlin was in our house often. Shout out, he does good work. But Carlin was in our house quite often. We had a lot of other trades in our house. We fixed floors. We fixed walls. We changed rooms. We put new paint on everything. We put new um, trim. It was like job after job after job after job. And here's the danger of renovating your house is you don't know what is lurking behind the walls or the floors. How many layers of linoleum are under your floor? I think we had like five or six, and you gotta rip all those things out. It's crazy, okay? Here's my challenge, and here's what I I heard the Lord say. So receive this in faith, but test it. LCF, how deep are you willing to clean, to be renovated? How deep? Is it just a coat of paint? Is it just a board of drywall? Is it just one floorboard, not two? Again, if you don't want to inspect yourself today, This message might not be for you. People of LCF, how deep are you willing to go to be renovated? You guys need to know this. I I know enough about what's going on here to know that some things are pretty up in the air. There is stirring, there is testing, 
there is uncertainty. There is unknown paths. And it's not for the faint of heart. And it's not for people who aren't committed to the journey. When things get shook, dead things fall off first. Weak things fall off first. Sick things fall off first. But it's so sweet. Bit of a different message. Isaiah 6. One thing about Isaiah, one thing about the Old Testament, I just, I love to say this. The belief that God is an angry, vengeful, judgmental, bitter father is not found in the word. It's not found in the prophets. It's, it's not. Yeah, he's upset, but if you read the story, God is not a bitter, vengeful, angry father who's just upset and holding a grudge against his people. He's shaking. He's stirring. He's wanting his people back. But a holy God does things, it's, it's straight. Isaiah 6 Verse 8, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Remember that. Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say this to the people. This is a tough first sermon for Isaiah to deliver. He said to the people of Israel, and I say this to you in faith. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people. And the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains while it is, when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. And Isaiah uses this picture of a stump many times in his book. And the picture goes from a stump that has been cut down to a stump that has been burned to a stump that rises again and rises anew from the chaos and the destruction. God was intent on shaking his people and it was painful and it was hard and it was long and it was brutal the captivity would have been brutal the war would have been brutal the loneliness would have been unbearable 
But in all of this, God had a plan. He was renovating and remaking his holy seed. He never lost hope. He never lost intention. He never lost his great plans for his people, even though they had to go through such a hard struggle. The holy seed is its stump. The holy seed, this renovated church, the renovated people of God would continue even in all the destruction. So I ask us again, how deep are we willing to go in our own lives, in our lives at LCF, to be fully renovated by the Lord? And are we one who considers ourselves that which will remain and be rebuilt? Will we rise out of the ashes and out of the chaos? This is a question for each of us. Am I willing to be shaken and am I willing to persevere in the Lord? And am I willing to be one of the remnant that remains and grows strong and grows healthy? Will I allow my bone to be reset for future health? for future use. Am I okay with that? Because shaking is here. It's here. Uncertainty is here. And I would say, and I believe the Lord would say, from here it's either crumble and die or be remade and renewed and rise up. But it's hard. Rising up is hard. And I want, it, I want us to know what's involved as we say yes or no. I, I don't have that in me. I don't have the stomach to be remade. I'm not willing for the Lord to look under every floorboard in my heart. I want us to know what needs to happen in that. Now, James was my whole sermon before, and now it's just a little part. James chapter 4. Therefore it says, and he's quoting the Old Testament. James says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Do I want to be part of the remade, renewed, holy stump of LCF. God opposes the proud, but gives grace or draws near the humble. This is the test. Will I continue in my pride, or will I release all that and go to God humbly and have him work for me and not against me. Two things happen when we are proud. There's actually two stiff arms. In football, 
the football player gives the stiff arm, and the guy who's trying to get him with the ball can't get him. He gets the stiff arm. When we are proud, and you can read the whole Bible, and it's clear right from the garden, when we are proud, we are stiff-arming the Lord and his presence in our life. This is the root of shaking. God will, let me say this with a smile. God will not work with proud people. I didn't, I didn't have a smile. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. He will not work with proud people. He will not do it. And part of that is his choice. And part of that is our choice. God doesn't do that. He doesn't say, you know, Lord, I think I can do this on my own. I think I should do this on my own, and I trust my own strength and power more than yours. The Lord doesn't say, well, but I'm in a helpful mood, so let me come and fill in the blanks that you miss. Or let me tell jokes for you while you do it. Or maybe, just maybe, I can come and observe what you're doing and learn it a little bit better for next time. If we're proud, God is against us. And he's going to cut us down. It's hit and miss here today. God will cut us down if we are proud. And there's two ways to be proud. We can be proud through not allowing God to do things and feeling like we need to handle it ourselves. We can accomplish it ourselves. We can't trust God. If we say we can't trust God, that's pride. If we say, God, I'm only going to call you when it gets so bad, I'm out of control, that's pride. If we wallow in our sin and our brokenness, that's pride. Because we have such a high view of ourselves that we're so disgusted that we don't measure up to it. And so we sorrow over our are things that aren't proper or correct, or we blow it on something. Pride is dangerous because it is secret and hidden. And in North America, it is the preferred sin of choice by me and by so many of us. And it's relevant in every area of our lives, even our ministry our work, our parenting, it all comes back to how do I feel, how do I look, how do I present, that's, that's all pride. And God says, I'm not working with you. You obviously don't need me, so I'm not working with you. Pride is the number one way for the roof to cave in in our own lives, in our work lives, in our parenting lives, in our marriage lives, in our relationships, in our finances, 
in our church. Pride brings it all down on our head. Hebrews says, it's a fearful thing. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And the context of that is people who have once known God's goodness begin to do it again on their own and begin to live again like the world who is completely consumed in pride. Even once they've learned the better way. That's the context of why Hebrews says that. If you've known Jesus and you've gone backwards into self-sufficiency, into wanting to look proper in, in the seemingly important people in our lives, driven by success, driven by how we look, driven by our positions. The writer of Hebrews says, it's, it's gonna get scary for you in your life with the Lord. And that's a tough place for you to be. God will not work with us if we're proud. And that was and always been the root of Israel. All the way back in Isaiah, where God had to cut them all the way to the ground. And try to reveal again and again and again, the punishment is not forever. But it is so severe because I only want my holy seed going forward but there's good news submit yourself therefore to God that, that sounds like a little bit of the onus is on us it's not saying allow God to submit you It's saying, you there, you there that wants to be counted among God's green, vibrant offshoots, out of disaster, you there, submit yourself to God. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Now, this might mess us up. Because those of us, predestination, Arminianism, blah, blah, blah. Some people are not going to like that I said blah, blah, blah there. Okay? But I don't care. I don't care. We have an onus to bring ourselves to God. Whether he has put that willingness in us or not, he's still asking for obedient children that are willing. Why else would he call all the Pharisees in the New Testament stiff-necked? They're not willing to be led or guided. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. An onus again. 
So we do have a role to play in this. It's not hard, it's not complicated. Maybe it is complicated and hard depending on where we're at today. But here's the recipe for any walk of life that we're in today. God is saying, if you are proud, I can't work with you. If you want to change that, resist the devil. Fight against him in your sin. Be led. Do what you can to come back to the Lord. Luckily, you learned all of that stuff. I'm going to try and say this with a smile. Fortunately, you, said you learned all that stuff in Sunday school. All of the ways back to the Lord you learned in Sunday school. Read the word. Listen to worship songs. Try and pray. Be broken. Be willing to be changed. Super happy message. I'm not saying this, the Bible is saying this. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James is not known as like a a sugar to help the medicine go down sort of guy. He's like really blunt. He must have been Mennonite. Right? No? Come on. I'm trying to be happy. Be wretched. And mourn and weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He will exalt your marriage, your finances, your brokenness, your congregation. He will exalt you. Our job is to kneel, his job is to raise us up. And do mighty things. This is the Christian life. This is the only Christian life. And this is the only root of a successful body of believers. Humbly searching and seeking before the Lord. Doing the hard work. And being raised up in fullness. And all of you here on July, the first weekend of July, right? Yeah. All of you are being asked this today. Because the success of LCF and all of the uncertainty has a lot to do with you faithful crew. Let me give you one example of how to do this. One example, and I've already been saying this. Numbers chapter 12. This is the story of Moses. One of the stories of Moses. Moses was a peculiar leader. He was the most uneasy with leadership that you're going to find. He had the most excuses. He had the most insecurities. He had the most doubt. And he, he would be considered one of the upper echelon giants of the faith. If I said to any one of you, and I'm not saying this, but if I said, thus saith the Lord, and my eyes were like fire, 
and I was like oiling all over the place, if I said, thus saith the Lord, I see the spirit of Moses in you, each and every one of you would stand up and boldly move forward. But here's what the Bible says about Moses. Moses is a great leader. And here's a little snippet of Moses' life. But see your own life in this. Numbers 12. Miriam, Moses' sister, and Aaron, Moses' brother, spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. Think about how destructive this is. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? This is terrifying. Hebrews 12, this is terrifying. And the Lord heard it. Now, now we got a problem. Now we got a problem. But this was the life of Moses. His brother and sister who were co-leaders of hundreds of thousands of people through the greatest escape from a country in God's greatest um, display of power said, I think we're a little offended with Moses. I don't think we quite like how he's, how he's leading. I, I think we should start doing a little uprising. It should start with us. Those that are closest to Moses, it should start with us. We'll have the most, you know, the, the highest voice to do it. Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now here's the spirit of Moses. Here's the leader of Moses that we would think, if I got a little bit of Moses in me, I'm going to do really good in life. I think we would all agree. Verse 3, now the man Moses was very meek. That's what the Bible says about his character. This great leader was very meek. He was unconfrontational. He was un, um, infatuated with his own reputation. He was unassuming. He was kind and humble. More than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Does God know what he's doing when he picks people to lead a renovation? This is what he's going to ask. Listen to how he, how he goes through this terrible process. The man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward, and he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is 
faithful in all of my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. God shut it all down. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, basically a death sentence, in a very lonely, dry, gross place. Like snow, and Aaron turned towards Miriam and said to Moses, O my Lord, do not punish us, because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is eaten away when it comes out of his mother's womb. The meekest man on the earth was called to lead the greatest nation, God's chosen people. And when his authority was questioned, God stepped in for him. Moses didn't fight his battles. If there is one, if there is one fear that I believe would supersede all of our other fears as we act in pride or we struggle in our relationships, God is going to fight the battles of the person on their behalf. That's terrifying. If we step out in pride, God is going to fight against us. It's not going to be the other person. Moses isn't going to run to Facebook and start backstabbing and, and sharing text messages. Look what they said to me. You could see the whole text. It's terrible. Moses is going to come broken to the Lord and God is going to say, it's okay, I got this. That's terrifying. So what does Moses do when Aaron says, okay, God is judged on your behalf, we get it, we were super wrong, Miriam though is pretty hooped. Moses would have every right to say, guys, God's spoken. You're lucky you didn't get sucked up like the other people. Moses prays. And Moses cried to the Lord, Oh God, please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had not spit in her face, had but spit in her face, she should not be shamed seven days. Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after she may be brought again. And she was healed after those seven days. This is the way forward. This is a perfect picture of humility. Humility when pride is something that wants to come and take over. I hope all of these passages are making sense. And I believe today that God has shown us a way forward. Personally and corporately. God is in the business of remaking things that are dead in the things that have been destroyed, in the things that have been distorted. God is in the business of doing that, but he does it his way. 
as we in humility fall on our faces before him and say, it's not something that I can do. He comes to our rescue. He works on our behalf. He fights our battles. And he raises us up. And it's holy and good and pure. So Victor, would you come up? I want to give us an opportunity to respond. You haven't left, so you're either, you're either like uncomfortable with leaving in part of the service, or you think everyone's going to look at you, or you didn't hear me say, you should leave if you don't want to be a part of this. I did say that, you can still go. But we can respond with this right here and now. And we can take a stand that we're going to start kneeling. We're going to start humbling ourselves. We're going to start confessing our sin. We're going to take the log out of our own eye. We're going to see the good in other people. We're going to let God fight our battles. We're going to be green and healthy and good and strong and something that God can move forward with. We're all the way back in Isaiah 6 again. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? God is still saying to us today, Whom shall I send? I don't care about your age. I don't care about your degrees. I don't care about your backstory. I don't care but I need somebody to send. Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say this to the people. If you would like to be resent today in your relationships, your marriage, your finances, your work life, I want you to stand. If you want to be part of the remnant of LCF, out of the ashes and into the great unknown, I would ask you to stand and raise your hands. Will I be part of the solution and the renovation no matter what the cost, no matter what you ask of me, Lord? Will I be the only one that does what you say for the sake of my church, for the sake of the leadership, for the sake of your great name? Father, hear our cries, the cries of our heart, the posture of our body. As we say to you silently, publicly, out loud, here I am, send me. I know the cost. I know that all pride has to be abolished. I know that my knees have to be well-worn in humility. I know this. But Lord, in all of that, send me. Would you make me a leader like Moses? Meek trusting that you're going to fight my battles. 
you're going to work on my behalf. Would you rebuild us by rebuilding me today? So we lift our hands to you, Lord. And in faith, we say, God, you are taking us very seriously. Would you give us faith to move forward from this moment? That you have heard our cry. You have met us where we are. And from this moment on, you're going to lead us and guide us and help us in something so foreign. Humility is so foreign for us. It's a gift of the Spirit, and it is freely given. God, would you make us humble people above all? Would we be known as humble people above all? Even if our reputation is shredded, even if people think we're kooky, would we be humble? Would that be the one thing they can't refute? It is a work of your spirit. So we fall at your feet asking you to fill us and use us. Because we got nothing without you. Go with us from this place. Hear our cries. And rebuild us. Rebuild us today. Amen.